approximately 5.15 p.m. on May 10th in 1967, three boys ages 11, 13, and 14 explore a cave near their house in Mark Twain's hometown of Hannibal, Missouri. Brothers Billy Hogue, Joel Hogue, and friend Craig Dow are never seen again. It is now 52 years later. This is their story. So, Chris, it's, it's 1967. We're trying to set the mood here. We want to get people engaged in the listening. We're about to go over about 10 episodes um, of The Lost Boys of Hannibal. And I think it's I think it makes sense to bring people back into 1967. So tell me a little bit about what's going on in 1967. Well, I think I want to start out by first singing Elvis. <laughs> okay, maybe not. I don't think I can do that. But Elvis was huge uh, in that time frame. And, of course, not only that, but uh, you had the song we just heard. Uh, by Lulu, uh, To Serve With Love. That's correct, To Serve With Love. Uh, great song. That was the top song, I believe, for the year. Uh, also, you have to keep in mind that uh, Vietnam War was going on at that point in time. It was a huge controversy as well as to why we were there, right? It's a, it's a lot of the, the, the pendulum of what's going on right now. Why are we still in Iraq? Why are we still in Vietnam? So it's a lot of the same kind of emotions and feelings going on. Guess who is coming to dinner? Oh, that's right. Was also a great movie that year. That's Spencer Tracy, I think. So, ooh, nice, yeah. nice. That was that was a good good catch by you. Uh, the uh, Thurgood Thurgood Marshall, uh, first black uh, Supreme Court justice. That's huge, that and was it, it was a, it was an interesting year um, for civil rights and the civil rights movement. We had a huge riot in uh, Detroit, Michigan. This was one of the most bloodiest riots that America had ever seen in 1967 in Detroit. Uh, we actually lost a college student, I believe, was bludgeoned to death at that same point. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of weird controversy coming on as well. We have our you know like you said, black people are stepping into politics, they're stepping into justices, but they're also still we're still going through these race things that are happening around the country. And not only the race things, but also with issues with the government and LBJ. And don't I, I can tell you right now, Frank, if we had a if we had a a whole podcast for just LBJ. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think I could fill up a whole podcast on my conspiracy theories about, about LBJ. But very interesting, <laughs> uh, very interesting uh, step in president, right? Yeah, he was uh, named Times Man of the Year that's that right. year. That's pretty big too. Used to wear the Stetson Open Road hat. <laughs> Famous. <laughs> I actually have a, have one that says LBJ on the side of it. Do you really? In my hat collection, absolutely. No, that's a good collection there uh biggest rumor of the year was walt disney and yep was his head frozen yeah so the rumor so walt disney dies in 1966 of this year and this is this is sad for a lot of uh, children kids um it's a it's a big you know he goes to the office and he talks to all his animators and say, i'll see you, i'll see you again tomorrow and we'll do it all over again and and he never makes it into the office he dies in 1966 hmm. and the year that would precede that we have a, a bunch of different uh, Suspicions as to what's happening with his cancer, what's happening with the cigarettes, and all this different stuff. And so, in 1966, he does die. The year that follows, 1967, which is where we're at right now, um, there's this whole speculation that uh, Walt Disney's body's frozen and they're going to keep his head on ice. And so, this is where the legend begins to to take fold. The question still is: Is it? There actually is a kid by the name of uh, Bert Lancaster, Ben Lancaster who submitted a film into our film festival. I mean, Jeremy do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that film festival is, uh, 
he had a he had a movie in there that was called The Further Adventures of Walt's Frozen Head, and it was <laughs> really it was really well done. And I, I think Ben believes um, so. So there's that. That would be interesting. That's that's one of the uh, you know we talk about mysteries, and there there's one right there. That's so. a real conspiracy theory. You know, this song also, there's a couple of songs that go along with a couple of the TV shows that were really big back in 1967. You got the Andy Griffith Show. Huge. You got Bonanza. Mm -hmm. And Gunsmoke. And Gunsmoke. And it was strange because Andy Griffith never had a gun on the show. Really? Never wore a gun. And that's actually uh, Mayberry. Um, is right by my parents' house. Um, Wait, that's a real town? It's uh, Mount Pleasant, but uh, it's in North Carolina. And you can actually go there and, and, and go to the Andy Griffith Diner and, what is her name, Mrs. May- Mayberry's Pie or something? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I never watched. <laughs> was it Blueberry? Uh, Don Knotts. And, yeah. But, yeah, so that was a big show. And so these kids are actually have their choice, right? They, they watch the, the, the Andy Griffith show where it's more like the father-like figure that's teaching boys on how to act and behave and respect their elders and to not be so rambunctious and adventurous, but to actually listen and behave. And you also have your gun smokes and your bonanzas where, you know, you're playing out cowboys and Indians, which really takes you into the adventures of where these kids were growing at this point. I mean, these kids are growing up in one of the, I guess, most formidable towns for writers, and also just for a legacy and lore. It's 1967. And it's 1967. I mean, yeah. What I mean, again, you had TV at that point in time, but, you know, you probably were going out and playing and right. having some fun with the kids. And, heck, you, you hear about that in the in the 90s. I was doing that in the 90s. You yeah. Know, maybe not so much today with the kids today, but, yeah, yeah you, that, was, that was what you did. Yeah, but also, I mean, like, you know, there is no mobile phones, right? There is no video games. There is no... And you had syndicated television shows, which probably when your dad got home, he had his show, and his mom had her show, and then you had the news, and then, you you know, you would, you'd would click it off, and you'd head to bed, and you'd have to do the whole routine over again. So kids were more active outside than they were inside. Let's make this point out, too, and I do find this this part of it interesting, is the game Battleship came out in 1967. Think about how how old we feel that game is and how old the game is. It's 50 plus 50 years old. So even board games were very limited in 1967. Yeah. And just for the horror audience out there, the true crime audience, I mean, we had uh, two books, two notable books, right? One was The Outsiders, which would later become a, a major movie, uh, which launched the careers of a lot of different actors. But also the book Rosemary's Baby comes that out. That year? Yes. Mm. So Ira Levine writes uh, Rosemary's Baby. And so you really start to get into um, more of, you know, some of the best writing came out of the 60s. Some of the best music came out of the 60s. Some of the best cars came out of the 60s. Um, and so, you know, uh, at this point advertising, it is all, it's at its all high time low. So kids are getting advertised right in front. All the shows are kind of, all the soap operas, actually where we get the name soap opera, is because the soap commercials basically <laughs> sponsored the show. And wow. that's where we get soap opera from. So the 1960s changed and revolutionized um, not only Americans, but I think kids growing up in the, in the 60s and 70s. I was born in 77. I don't know when you were born, but um, this really is a different time period. And, and kids are are not the same as they are today no kids are a lot more active they're a lot more into exploring and a lot more into adventures and when you live in a town like hannibal missouri where you're on the you know you're on a you're on a river you're a river harbor town and it is the scene for for tom sawyer and huck finn 
Yeah, it's Mark Twain's hometown. Uh, yep. And if you were in third grade at some point in time in your life, you probably read The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, yeah. which is exactly about that. It's about let's go make a raft and go to the island. Let's go explore a cave. Uh, that's that's the epitome of, of, of boyhood boyhood life. Yeah. Is, is that. And it really sets the theme as to what we're going to be getting into. Um, unfortunately, um, through the gun smoke and through Bonanza and through all the stuff on TV, one thing would monopolize this town for over a month, and that would be the news. And it's the news of the Lost Boys. So, Chris, the, um, the overview here of the uh, Lost Boys of Hannibal, it's a, uh, it's a tragedy. I mean, anybody that saw the Facebook or our website knows that the if they did any kind of google search at that point that the the outcome of this is 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 something that's unsolved it's a cold case yeah it's it's one of it's one of those things where not only is it a cold case but it's something that has never happened in the world before and that is having these these boys doesn't matter boys men whatever girls it's the first time that anybody's ever been lost in a cave and not found and that's very important to remember. There's been many deaths, unfortunately, in caves, uh, but they've always been able to retrieve the bodies. And this is a first that they haven't. Yeah, there was, this, there was speculation as to where the boys set off that day. And I think that you have a lot of different um, opinions as to where the boys were placed when they were going into a cave, when they were on top of a cave, or when they were doing certain things that nobody really like latch down on where exactly they entered and where they would never come out again. And I guess if we just go through the events of an overview to kind of give people what happened that day, uh, we know a couple days before that, um, the, uh, the highway crew was there, correct? Yeah. They were working on a new section of highway 79 and to give you a little background story. I grew up in this area. I've driven these roads many times. Didn't know there potentially is three boys that are underneath this new road. That's been around for a few years now, but yeah, they were working on a new construction of highway 79. It used to be that you went around the bluff, uh, to get to a new section of this highway, but they were working on a shortcut to get through. And what it was going to pertain to do is they had to cut out a lot of limestone to be able to make this road work. And that's when our caves first appeared for the new caves. Wow. And so, and I guess that this road is opening up because of the tourism that hits Hannibal every year. Not only is it tourism, but it also has to do with uh, the cement plant that is down the road. Because the cement plants, the road, and, and hopefully we'll have some pictures on our website mm -hmm. as we go along. But the, the road that was used previously is very small. And with the way that uh, vehicles are starting to get bigger and bigger, especially when you get cement trucks and semis, uh, they needed a better road system. So that was one of the points, but also, and we've, we've done some research on this, that Highway 79 is a connector. So it's, to give you a little background, if you're not familiar with, with where Hannibal is at, Hannibal is located about two hours north of St. Louis, and it uh, has some different highway options. Highway 61, it, at this point in time, is a two-lane highway, but also there's a highway called Highway 79, and there is some talk that the St. Charles, Missouri area, which is directly south of Hannibal on Highway 79 at the time, was wanting to get, expand and grow bigger. So what they were wanting to do is try to expand that Highway 79 option so they can get more traffic into the St. Charles area. With that, they have to 
make a better road for Highway 79 from Hannibal to St. Charles. So there we have the construction of this new highway. And, and the best way to do that is right through these caves. Yep. The technology was there. I don't think, and I, I don't think that they had the technology when they first started building these roads 20 years earlier to be able to cut huge sections of these limestone areas out. Well, now it's 1967. The technology is there and obviously you need the shortcut as well. So let's get her done. And I think the, the, the other aspect of that, of course, is, you know, they're cutting through these roads, but they're also using all that material because it is limestone. Yeah. Uh, not, not so much for the roadway. Um, I don't believe, but that was being used by the cement company. Correct. Exactly. For sure. Yeah. So, exactly. uh, but it's, uh, it's interesting because in, and we'll have photos again of this up on the website, but it opened up so many holes when they were digging this area out and it created a new cave system. They weren't even aware of. There was another cave, which we'll talk about eventually, uh, that was about, about three tenths of a mile from the location of what we're talking about that had a bunch of openings. And the interesting thing about that as well is more openings were opened. And let's just go ahead and dig into that. Murphy's Cave is a cave we'll talk about a lot. That cave was previously known. There's actually stories of boys getting lost in this cave a few years earlier. Uh, three, I think. Three, yeah. And they, luckily they were found. But um, they had to cut more holes into this wall to build Highway 79, again, going back to that. So it created more walls, more openings for people to explore into Murphy's Cave. So now we have two areas that are opened up for the uh, kids to adventure in. Yeah, because, I mean, we have, uh, what, 13, 14, and 11, correct? Mm -hmm. So up until that point, I guess they had their old, they had Mark Twain's Cave, which is, Fairly, pretty much a safe cave. I mean, mm -hmm. they even do like a lights out test now with yep. with everybody just to show people the the inky darkness. I think is uh, um, what's yeah. his name, John Wingate puts in his book the uh, the inky darkness. Can I, can I put in my personal stories at this point in time? Sure. Yeah. So uh, again, I grew up locally here, and it was a fourth grade field trip, and I had my girlfriend Donna with me, and we knew the lights were going to go out. <laughs> <laughs> I told her, I'm like, we're going to kiss when the lights go out. So the lights go out. I look around. She, she left. <laughs> she, she got away from me. <laughs> so that was not happening in fourth grade, evidently. No. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that is uh, – it's, it's Missouri's uh, biggest show cave. Um, it uh, bolsters a ton of tourists every year. And even in 1967, it was still a public access cave. It had tourists, uh, had tour guides, and uh, it was a, a great cave for people to come and explore part of Hannibal. And so now Murphy cave, Murphy's Cave was very different, though, right? Murphy's Cave is not a controlled cave. Right. It's not a public, a public uh, cave like Mark Twain Cave is. It is um, just kind of there. Yeah. Uh, if you look, and even today, houses surround it. Uh, it's covered in brush. It's it's you don't you don't see any entrances anymore. Uh, it's it's one of those that uh, it's known about, but uh, nobody's going in it. Nobody's going in it, and it's a weird it's a weird cave system based on geology. It's very different from uh, most of the caves, and so 
you know, these kids heading in there are probably used to a more dynamic cave like a Mark Twain where there's plenty of room to walk, there's plenty of room to, to, to explore, and maybe that's in the back of their head, right? That's that's kind of, you know, oh, it's going to be just like this cave. The only thing is, is that it's new and that we'll be able to mark the walls and mark our territory. And, you know, boys being boys, I mean, to, to, to put the cliche to, to, to a saying here, but, you know, build your clubhouse and build certain things and, and own the rights to certain areas and to be this expert of this new cave system. And this new cave system happens because of the highway. The highway now opens up different entrances and now the the kids that are in the block that understand murphy's cave have now seen hey there's a new way in here we've got to check this out and i guess that's where kind of the story begins yeah it's uh it's a interesting story and that's for sure you know one thing i do want to go back on is that with the setup of these cave systems they they call them blocks and why they call them the blocks block caves is because they look like city blocks they're they're dissected just like that to where when you go in and you hit a section uh where there might be a turnoff there's three turnoffs so it's not just like going into you know some sort of like pole where you have one way to go Uh, there's a lot of different options going different different ways in these caves i can only imagine i mean from some of the pictures from 1967 i mean you really get into this uh just this uh, these small, it's a smaller cave, you know, what we've learned from the story. And, and so as they begin to head in, I mean, these guys are relatively small. It's 1967. It's not like today where you have fast food in every corner and every kid's overweight. I mean, these kids were able to get into these small areas, especially when you look at the first photos of this little ladder kind of going into this rabbit hole, which in a million years, I have no desire to be in something <laughs> like that. I have so much respect for the cavers and for all the people that did the you know the the investigation and the you know the uh, trying to find these kids and and unfortunately um a couple days before may 10th right they're in this cave. this is when they discover it and they do go in there and so at some point they get back they get out of it and that's when the father gives them the reprimand right and right. they came back to the cave and they were real excited about what they had found what they had discovered and they're telling their family, and they're late to dinner. Clothes were a little dirty uh, <laughs> there as well, which mom was not happy about one bit. Uh, no. But yeah, that was the start of it. And they were told, as you as you said, they were told, don't don't go back. You're not allowed to go back. So yeah, don't go in this uh, this system. Did they? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, that's why this podcast is here. It's um, you know, there's a couple books written on it. There are two books that we know of that are written on it. One is um, The Lost Boys of Hannibal, which would be John Wingate, which we've both read. And it's a great book. It's a great uh, documented case. Um, it saves us a lot of trouble from doing all the legwork. And usually we're in the archives and in, we're in newspapers.com for a very long time. John was able to put together a really nice thesis about, you know, what he believes uh, were the circumstances that unfolded that day. And he pops in a lot of different names and a lot of different questions and the mood and the temperament as the investigation prolonged. Yeah, he did a great job of that. Not only that, but he also um, really dug into the search itself and, and what what they had to do and who was involved. And, and not only, it also is very interesting of the politics in 1967 involved with the searchers themselves. And we'll get into that throughout the episodes as well. Absolutely. And so their kids are told not to go in. But on May 10th, they all go to school. And I think they're talking to each other at school on the school bus. Uh, Craig Dowell 
has a youth group meetup that he never misses. Um, Joel's younger brother, right, Billy? Mm-hmm. Always tags along. Wants to be part of the of the trio, right. the three amigos, the uh, the Goonies, if you will. I mean, for our listeners, this is the beginning of those Richard Donner films. <laughs> you know, Monster Squad and the Goonies and a yeah. hundred different things. It's always the kids going out on an adventure and even Stranger Things. It's always about that set of kids that are the explorers that are going to discover something or happen upon a dead body, like it's Stand By Me or something like that. And so they're excited about their find. And now on May 10th, they're going to approach the cave again. And and what's going to happen, Chris? Well, I mean, the real answer is we don't know, but... <laughs> <laughs> we kind of know. We, we, we'll, let's, let's do the... Let's do the Typical scenario and typical outcome. So they, so they, as you mentioned, they get off the bus. They get uh, get their stuff together. Um, supposedly, they grab a shovel and a flashlight. And the one of the stories says that they head towards Murphy's Cave. And there's some kids already there at Murphy's Cave. And those kids uh, see them going in. But uh, then they, um, that's all they really say. And then we have other stories, and I'm not sure how much in-depth you want to get about this right now, but uh, we have uh, a janitor in school season. Mm-hmm. We have, or sees them, I should say. We have a school teacher that's off to a school right. meeting. Miss Kohler. Yeah. yeah, and then she sees them, uh, all leading up to, uh, as you heard in the intro, 515. That's that's the time. That's the last time that we knowingly see these kids. And now... Again, we don't know the circumstances. Was it uh, was it the cave or was it something else? And that's something we'll definitely be digging into uh, next few weeks. Yeah, as it as it just prolongs, um, Occam's Razor comes up a lot on True Crime podcast. I mean, Generation Y talks about it. Uh, the Missing Mori Crossbase guys talk about it, and I think it is important. And, and just so, if you haven't tuned into that, it, um, Occam's Razor is a principle from philosophy. Uh, suppose there exist two explanations. Uh, for an occurrence. And in this case, there's a possible third, right? There's three Mm -hmm. legs to this journey. Another way of saying it is that the more assumptions you have to make, the more unlikely an an explanation. And so the one that requires the least speculation is usually correct. Yeah. And so... In 1969, or 67, the boys are in the cave. That's 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 the that's Malcolm's razor. <laughs> that's it. So Malcolm's razor says the boys are in the cave. Yep. And let's set out and find them. Yep. And that's what they did. And it was a huge effort by many uh, to 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 find those. And I, I do you remember the exact number of how many searchers there were in in the time frame? Yep. So there were over two hundred cave explorers that came out for the journey. And these people were experts. These people were some of them were hobbyists. But a lot of them were enthusiasts, a part of their own group. And you had 200 different individuals going in and out. They would search the caves over four different times. You had guys making maps as they were searching areas. You had a lot of frustrations on the front, being the fact that they didn't know where they had went. And there was no way of tracking them based on the way the geology structure of this cave is. Um... Some of, the, some of the things that you'll read and that we'll cover are very unsettling. And if you have claustrophobia, if you have the fear of the dark, 
this is your worst enemy. This <laughs> podcast is not a place you should be listening to this um, environment at all. You should not be <laughs> listening in this environment. Um, one of the uh, petite female cave explorers, she's 98 pounds, and she says in quotes that at some areas, she, five foot two inches, 98 pounds, had to take a deep breath in to get into a space. Not only that, she also had times where when she was going across rocks, they were moving, and then she was only 98 pounds, and they were moving when she was moving across them. So that's also a scary thought as well. Uh, Another interesting fact I do want to bring up real quick is how quick the response was. It wasn't a matter of 36 hours, 48 hours. I mean, very quickly, they had searchers that were were searching for these guys I mean, within hours, uh, within hours, if not even within an hour of the parents realizing that they weren't there. They had, uh, I believe it was um, a, and I don't remember the exact words for it. I believe it was a Marion County, which is the county Hannibal is in. I believe it was a Marion County uh, rescue squad. That again, Hannibal is on the Mississippi River. Typically, these rescue squads are for somebody that's drowned or that's some sort of water issue. These guys were not prepared to do in a cave search. Uh, luckily, the right people that did have the experience were there pretty quickly. But those first responders were your you know, rescue squad. Yeah. I mean, um, the other thing, too, is that like you had so many different... So Missouri hosts the most cave systems there are. It, over 7,000 now. Over 7,000 different cave systems. So we have, in the state of Missouri, the most complex cave systems there are um, in North America. And it just goes to show you once again that even the highest experts that could have been on the ground there, when they stepped into Murphy's Cave and these new inlets, they didn't. they were not familiar with the territory. There were things that that really boggled them as to why certain things were there. Low ceilings than high ceilings. And of course it all comes back to, you know, glaciers and water and how the water came through. But at the same time, in these particular caves, what these boys discovered and uncovered would ultimately be their demise. So we've kind of taken you through a a broad brushstroke of the events that occurred on May 10th, 1967. And I think without getting into the specifics of it yet, that's what the podcast over the next couple of weeks will focus on. And some of the things we'll focus on, Chris, are some of the things that you're really uh, hot buttoned about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, to the point that that's how we met was was based off of, of uh, information that uh, I came across. And so, it's, uh, yeah, it worked out well. But it's information that, and that brings up the great point. It's information that happens is happening now, and, mm-hmm. and we're still getting the information today. So not only we're going to be talking about uh, stuff that is uh, occurring today, but we're also going to talk about those uh, rumors. Not only that are today's rumors, but are 1967 rumors. There was uh, definitely some very strong indications of. Um, possibly foul play involved uh and there was family members that thought there might have been foul foul play involved uh you can even go as far as say that we could be looking at a serial killer yep as this situation unfolds so uh no and pardon the pun no stones will be unturned yeah uh, in this uh case 
Absolutely. I think that, you know, over the course of the episodes, what, what we're looking to do is provide enough information um, to viewers that don't have access to the book, don't have access to Hannibal, Missouri, and hopefully you can visualize with us what we've seen. This is my this was my first weekend in, in Hannibal, Missouri, and as a historian in my own right, absolutely fell in love with the town and the lore behind Mark Twain, and I can honestly see, although I would never go in a cave, but I can see the allure of these kids living not even, you know, a quarter of a mile to the first entrance. <laughs> not even a quarter of a mile, but their house is positioned between not only one, but now two caves with the opening of the, uh, the, uh, cut by the road cut. So you have one to the left walking out the door and you have one to the right <laughs> walking out the door. So who, who what kid that's uh, 13, 14 years old wouldn't take advantage of that. Exactly. All the exploring, all the wars and, you know, the stories of engine Joan and Becky Thatcher, and they all kind of race through your head. And so, you know, over the next, a couple episodes. That's what we're going to explain to you guys on how these kids came to be. Um, what drove them into the curiosity in the first place. We'll look at the families in and of themselves. We'll look at the cases that surround it. We'll look at the cases that ran real close to this one from all over the world. But then we'll look at something that nobody else has. And it's, and it's not the easiest thing to say, but I don't think a lot of people have ever seen what condolences look like. And it's, a, it's, it's bitter. And there are people that genuinely care that these boys are found. And there's letters that are coming from Arizona, California, Kentucky, all over the country offering their condolences. But they're not only offering condolences. They're offering suspects. They're offering, they're offering possible scenarios as to what happened and even pointing to people in the town. So in those episodes, we're definitely going to dive deep, and we're going to read them to you. And we might get choked up, because it is very emotional. But at the same time, it's important. Because as any true crime guy will tell you, it's never the broad detail. It's never the big thing from a cop show. It's the small details that matter. Those small details break cases more than anything else. And maybe, maybe there's something in those written words. From all of us here at the Lost Boys of Hannibal podcast, I'm Frankie Campbelletta. I'm Chris Ketters. We'll be seeing you.